Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. Celebrating pro and college football history, one legend at a time. Hi everybody, welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm Jackson Michael, author of the Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, published by the University of Nebraska Press and also writer-director of We Were the Oilers, The Love You Blue Era. Both are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com and on Amazon.com. Today we have a very special guest in Upton Bell, who worked in the Colts organization throughout the 1960s, all the way through when they won Super Bowl V, and later became general manager of the New England Patriots. In this episode, however, He'll be talking about his father, Burt Bell, who founded the Philadelphia Eagles and was NFL commissioner for many years while Upton was growing up. Upton's book, Present at the Creation, is easily found online and provides readers with a firsthand glimpse of what it was like to grow up as the son of the NFL commissioner during some of the league's most glorious and storied days. The book also chronicles Upton's experiences working in the NFL and owning the Charlotte Hornets of the World Football League. Henry Ford is often recognized as the father of the automotive industry. President John F. Kennedy is often noted as the visionary leader that helped land man on the moon. Today, we'll examine the life of a man who could be called both the father and the visionary leader of pro football and ultimately the National Football League. His name is Burt Bell. There's a reason why Bell was inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame's first class, along with Jim Thorpe, Sammy Baugh, and George Hallis. Actually, there are dozens of reasons why. Indeed, it was George Hallis himself who said, quote, Bell was a great leader, a genius, in fact. All his contributions will never be forgotten. He brought pro football to its present heights and he will never be forgotten. That quote appeared in Associated Press reports of Burt Bell's death in 1959. Bell, then the NFL commissioner, suffered a heart attack at an Eagles-Steelers game. So, you might be wondering, how many of Bell's contributions are remembered today? Well, here's a list of just a few that impact today's NFL, and pro sports in general. After founding the Philadelphia Eagles, Bell came up with the idea of a collegiate player draft, one that had the worst team pick first. He instituted the two-minute warning. He created overtime. He leveraged this new thing called television to launch pro football from a sideshow to college football to an unforgettable television drama in the 1958 NFL Championship. That game would cement the National Football League into the American culture for decades to come. Bell even helped your fantasy league team by coming up with the waiver wire and injury reports. Oh, 
And you can also easily make the case that he single-handedly saved the league from possible collapse. More than once. Bell, however, wasn't a man to brag about his accomplishments. That wasn't his style. Burt Bell did not come from humble beginnings. He came from an accomplished and storied family. For starters, his father was the Pennsylvania Attorney General. His father was the Attorney General, but also his, his father, my grandfather on that side, was uh, on the Walter Camp Rules Committee when Teddy Roosevelt said, you know, I'm going to abolish college football. Walter Camp and my grandfather were the people that put together what is today the NCAA. His hotel, the Ritz-Carlton, which was on Broad Street, right near the city hall, and now is a huge building with a pizza parlor. Many of your, your top people at the time, Bob Hope would come there, Cesar Romero, all of these people. Uh, it, was, it was the place in Philadelphia. As a teenager, Bert stood as an accomplished high school athlete and even earned media coverage in the years before World War I. He was a three-sport athlete in prep school, and some people thought he was a better baseball player than football player and thought that he was really a pro baseball prospect. Today's high school stars have a media circus following them to National Signing Day. Bert's father, however, left no mystery as to what Bert's college plans would be. Bert's son, Upton, relays to us what the Philadelphia headline said. The headline was, Bell's father says he'll go to Penn or he'll go to hell. That was the headline. Penn. Not Penn State to play football. Penn, as in Pennsylvania. Now remember, then the Ivy League was the power of America. Like the Big Ten is today, or the Southeastern Conference, it, it was a completely different world. Indeed, the teams that make up today's Ivy League had some of the strongest teams in college football. In fact, Yale to this day holds the record for most national football championships. In case you're wondering, Alabama is tied for second place with Princeton. So how did Bell's Penn team fare? In 1916, they beat powerful Michigan on the last game of the season, then headed west to play Oregon in the 1917 Rose Bowl. Through the first forward pass in Rose Bowl history. He was captain of Penn. He's also one of the best punters in the Ivy League. Uh, they went to the Rose Bowl, lost to Oregon, but he threw the first forward pass. In 1917, World War I raged across Europe. Burt Bell soon found himself in the thick of the action. His junior year at Penn, they played the Thanksgiving Day, and the next day he was down and volunteered to go with a group into the First World War. And he ended up going with uh, John B. Kelly, Grace Kelly's father. And he and Kelly remained friends for life. My father actually was a war hero who was cited by General Pershing and also the president of France. He was cited for bravery in the field when their position was being bombed and they were told to evacuate and they couldn't wait around for the people injured in the tents. And he volunteered to stay behind and, you know, dodged the bombs, but he never talked about it. Never talked about being sighted, never talked about his exploits. Kind of ties in to Tom Brokaw's book, The Greatest Generation. He was a great conversationalist, and he was great with us as kids, but he just didn't talk about himself. 
Bell graduated from Penn after the war. After college, Bell worked as an assistant football coach at Penn. The head coach at that time was John Heisman. Yes, that Heisman, the man for whom the Heisman Trophy is named. Bell also served as an assistant coach at Temple until Pop Warner, yes, that Pop Warner, was hired as head coach and replaced the entire coaching staff. Outside of football, Bell became enamored with Frances Upton, who had achieved a high level of success before meeting her future husband. Well, uh, first and foremost, her story is unbelievable. She was taking ballet lessons and after school was working in Macy's at the perfume counter. And one day, uh, one of the Schubert's of the Schubert theaters, of which one is still here, and in New York, one of the talent scouts came by and said, you know, you're a very beautiful young woman. Do you have any dancing in your background? She said, well, I'm taking ballet lessons. And he said, well, here's my card. If someday you're interested, get in touch with me. Well, evidently she did, because five years later, I think she was on Broadway. And she ended up in the Zigfeld Follies. She introduced the song, Making Whoopi with Eddie Cantor. She also came from a storied family. So I just discovered a couple of years ago a story from the New York Times on my grandfather on my mother's side, who spoke six languages, never finished high school, came to this country from Ireland, and ended up working as an undercover detective for the New York Police Department. They could send him into different areas to go after, which is today the mafia, the black hand, or into the German section, or into the Irish section, and he'd go in in disguise. He was cited by the New York City Department as one of their greatest detectives. His father, William Cleary Upton, wrote a bestseller on how the British were treating the Irish as landowners back in the 1880s. It was a bestseller then. It's 120-some years today. You can still get that book, Uncle Pat's Cabin, on Amazon. Frankfurt is a section of Philadelphia. The Frankfurt Yellow Jackets began playing in the National Football League in 1924. They won the 1926 NFL Championship. Hard economic times were on the horizon, however. A combination of the Great Depression and two fires which damaged the stadium forced the team to suspend operations in 1931. Burt Bell purchased the Yellow Jackets out of bankruptcy and was awarded the franchise. Bell's father, however, didn't see it as a smart move. The money came from Francis Upton, who saw the potential of pro football. My father founded the Eagles in 1933. With the money from my mother, she lent him the money to buy the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets out of bankruptcy. Now, his father could have easily given the money, but his father said, Bert, I've lent you hundreds of thousands of dollars, not a nickel for pro football. It's a joke. College football is the game. And he was right about that part of it. 25 teams or more went out of business between the founding of the league in Canton, Ohio, with Jim Thorpe in that automobile room. And by the time my father got in eight or 10 years later. Bell decided to name the team for the entire city of Philadelphia rather than just Frankfurt. He literally looked towards the sky and saw the nickname Eagles. See, he was walking down the street and looked up at a billboard that had the National Recovery Act Eagle up there, you know, Franklin Roosevelt's thing, and he decided on the spot that's the name of my team. The new team struggled to win and languished in the lower half of the standings. 
Burt Bell tried to acquire college star Stan Costa to help the team, but was outbid. Bell noted that teams on the lower end of the spectrum had less of a chance of signing star players to improve their team, improve their attendance, and ability to stay afloat financially. He came up with an idea, and it's an idea that's still used today by every major sport. When my father and Art Rooney both got their franchises at the same time, he looked at it and he said, the Bears, the Packers, and the Giants, and to a degree the Redskins, they always win because they can go out and sign the best players, but if you don't have any money, you're not going to be able to do it. He presented the thing to the owners, I think, in 1934-35. His whole thing to them was, we're only as strong as our weakest link. And if we don't do something about this and get the better teams to agree that we would have a draft and the worst teams in inverse order would draft first, this league isn't going to be around for business. Today's NFL draft is a mass media spectacle that gets covered months in advance. There's the NFL Combine, Talk Radio discusses who will be the first overall pick, and the event is beamed into televisions across the country. In 2018, an estimated 5.5 million people watched the NFL draft on television. Additionally, an estimated 100,000 people watched day one of the 2018 NFL draft in person at the enormous AT&T Stadium in Dallas. But the first NFL draft in 1936 attracted much less attention. The first draft ever held was in Burt Bell's father's hotel. And uh, they announced to the press the first draft. And uh, guess what? Nobody showed. One of the most famous coaches in history was drafted, but he never played in the NFL, Bear Bryant. My father had the worst team, so he had the first pick, and he drafted Jay Burwanger, who was the Heisman Trophy winner, and Burwanger refused to sign in Philadelphia, and so my father traded his rights to the Bears, and the Bears couldn't sign him, and he never played. In 1939, Bell's Eagles landed TCU quarterback Davey O'Brien with the fourth overall pick. Perhaps you've heard of the Davy O'Brien Award. Yes, it's that Davy O'Brien. There's all sorts of history tied around Burt Bell. Davy O'Brien, who was his quarterback, the first quarterback that he ever insured Lloyds of London against injury, like five foot seven from Texas Christian. He threw to a receiver by the name of Don Looney, who's son 30 years later. I recommended after the Giants cut him up, bringing him to the Patriots camp. O'Brien signed a two-year contract with the Eagles. He was an NFL passing leader as a rookie and would have led the NFL in passing his second year. The difference was an 81-yard completion that Sammy Baugh made to Dick Todd that put Baugh over the top. Otherwise, Davey O'Brien would have led the NFL in passing yards both seasons that he played. You might wonder why Davey O'Brien only played two years in the NFL, despite his success. Well, in those days... The money was nowhere near what it is today. O'Brien decided to chase another career. Davey O'Brien retired uh, early, had a terrific career with the Eagles, and joined the FBI. Became the best pistol shot in America. Burt Bell left the Eagles around the same time Davey O'Brien left. In a complex arrangement, steel heir Alexis Thompson took control of the Philadelphia Eagles, and Burt Bell took part ownership in the Pittsburgh Steelers with Art Rooney. 
As World War II encroached on the United States, the National Football League considered shutting down. Burt Bell convinced the other owners to keep going. During the Second World War, there was a vote to close the league. And he said to them, if you close the league, it'll never open again. And he had to fight for two or three days. He said, remember, the All-America Conference is coming in. They get a foothold and we're closed. And players coming back from the Second World War, they're going to go where the money is. So he saw that, too. Although it was difficult, the NFL survived the lean years of World War II, and Burt Bell was elected commissioner of the league in 1946. The NFL faced two obstacles that year. First, a new rival league, the All-American Football Conference, began play. Teams included the Cleveland Browns, San Francisco 49ers, Los Angeles Dons, and Miami Seahawks. The Miami Seahawks would be sold the next season, moved to Baltimore, and become the Baltimore Colts. Furthermore, circumstances around the 1946 NFL championship game threatened the integrity of the league. As the new AAFC completed their first successful season, NFL Commissioner Burt Bell knew that he needed to take swift action to preserve the reputation of the National Football League. That's how Burt Bell saved the league. The day of or the night before the championship game they were playing in New York, Burt Bell got a call from Frank Hogan, the district attorney. He said, you've got to get to New York because two of the giant players, the quarterback Frank Filchok and running back Merle Hapes, were basically accused of not accepting bets, but of listening to it, never turning it into the league and saying gamblers have tried to compromise us. So that night before the game was spent with the district attorney and finally my father, who didn't take all week long to make a decision, made a decision to let Filchok play in the game. And in the case of Hapes, he suspended Hapes. Eventually they were both banned and played in the Canadian League. But that night, if he had not taken that type of action, the NFL might never have made it till the next year because gambling in those days was the kiss of death. Bell took great measures to ensure that the National Football League wouldn't be overtaken by a gambling scandal. He hired ex-FBI men in each city to follow the players and the gamblers, but he also forced every team, which is still around today, to declare who's injured and who isn't. In the late 1940s, people ahead of the curve could see the dawning of the age of television raise its glow above the horizon. Burt Bell recognized the power that television could give the National Football League. The 1948 NFL Championship, a rematch of the 1947 Eagles-Cardinals matchup that the Cardinals won, would be played in Philadelphia. A snowstorm pelted Philadelphia on that day, however, raising the question of whether to play the game. Commissioner Bell, however, didn't consider postponing the game. Commissioner Bell said the game must go on to honor the league's television responsibilities. Now, the day before... The Cardinals had voted not to play the game if it was really bad. Of course, they don't know what it's like when you deal with Burt Bell. He had signed the first national TV contract. And basically his position was, I don't care if anybody shows up, that game's going to be played. There's a famous picture, by the way, of uh, players and everybody else rolling the tarp off the field. Burt Bell the commissioner was helping them roll the tarp off the field. 
that his whole position is, this is the league, this is the television contract, this is the game, we play it in the snow, no matter what happens. And they did. The Eagles prevailed 7 to nothing, powered by a touchdown from star running back Steve Van Buren, who nearly missed the game thinking it wouldn't be played. Despite the low score, Upton tells us the game provided plenty of excitement. It was an exciting game uh, because there was so much at stake and there were so many great players on the field that day that eventually went to the Hall of Fame. So that was it. Ended in the snowstorm and it was one of the most memorable games of its time. In 1950, the AAFC partially merged with the NFL. This brought the Cleveland Browns, San Francisco 49ers, and Baltimore Colts into the National Football League. That merger, I believe, was even more important. They all might have been out of business. But uh, my father saw that they were all losing money. So that's when he decided, let's take the Browns and the 49ers, who are very, very good, in, and uh, we'll see if we can do something with the Colts. Bell needed to solve one big discrepancy, however. Both the AAFC's Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions owned the draft rights to college superstar Doak Walker. Bell made a simple yet authoritative decision to solve the matter. He told the two teams to work out a deal where he would flip a coin to decide who had Walker's draft rights. Cleveland and Detroit worked out a deal, and the future Hall of Famer went to the Lions for a draft pick. The National Football League entered the 1950s, a decade that would permanently establish the league in the American culture, and it would be done under Commissioner Burt Bell's guidance. The NFL wasn't all glory and roses in the 1950s, however. The league lost a lawsuit against former player Bill Radovich, and the Supreme Court decided that the National Football League didn't have the same exemptions to antitrust laws that Major League Baseball had. Congress became interested in the matter, taking a closer look at the NFL. Burt Bell took swift action to uphold the interests of the league. He was a registered lobbyist. He decided that he was going to go to Washington and lobby on behalf of the NFL because baseball got all the breaks from antitrust. But not only that, his brother who was the lieutenant governor and then governor briefly of Pennsylvania, and then became chief justice of the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, wrote many of the legal rules that are still in the NFL rulebook and in their constitution and bylaws. Player pensions were also a hot topic in the 1950s. The relationship between players and team owners became increasingly difficult to navigate. Burt Bell did his best to take all sides into consideration. No other commissioner had what Burt Bell had. Well, I think Roselle was a great commissioner. Burt Bell was a player, he was a coach, he was an owner before he was commissioner. He knew all the heartbreak of the game. He knew it as a player. He knew how, as an owner, he lost so much money. He knew it from every aspect. He knew what the fan meant to the game. He also knew that television was the future. So he was able to balance it all because he had experienced it. This wasn't always a popular stance with NFL owners. Even though he was very powerful and the owners loved him, they kept tearing up his contract. When he died, I think he had a new 13-year contract. The reason was is that he even stood up to him on behalf of the players when he had decided he was going to recognize the Players Association. They threatened to fire him. He said, well, if you're going to fire me, fire me. 
but this is the right thing to do for the players. Bell placed a substantial amount of effort into the player pension issue. He was the one that came up with the pension plan, and what he did is he went and studied pensions for a while, and then uh, went to Carol Rosenblum, and Rosenblum set him up with pension planners of Baltimore, a guy by the name of Sig Hyman. In the early years of television, NFL owners worried that if games were shown on free television, fans wouldn't buy tickets to the game. The league adopted a rule stating that home games, even if they were sold out, wouldn't be televised in a team's home market. This held true for NFL championship games. The rule created a bit of controversy before the 1957 NFL championship game. Upton Bell explains. They tried to put the pressure on my father to take the blackout out because the game finally was sold out. And he said, well, what about those fans that stood out in line all week long and driving snowstorm to buy their tickets? Am I now going to tell them, you're a bunch of suckers, you bought the tickets, so now I'm going to put it on free TV? He refused to do it. The controversy even entered the political arena, with both Michigan's governor and the vice president getting involved. That vice president would later become president of the United States. Burt Bell wasn't intimidated by the politicians. So the governor at that time, Soapy Williams of Michigan, decided he was going to put pressure on Burt Bell. That's the worst thing you could have done. So he called Nixon, asked Nixon to come in and see if he could pressure Burt Bell into changing the whole thing. Nixon did come in. They had dinner. You know, he tried to put a lot of pressure on my father. And my father finally told Nixon the same thing he told uh, Governor Soapy Williams. I'm not doing it. It might cost the league money, but those people were there when nobody was going to games. One of Bell's important innovations came about because of an annual game that is no longer played. It was called the College All-Star Game. The game matched the National Football League champion against a team of collegiate All-Stars. The game always attracted a lot of attention as people wondered how a group of All-Americans would fare against the National Football League champions. Bell knew the importance of the game, and he also foresaw a possible mess if the NFL championship game would end up in a tie. He had one of those minds I've, I've very rarely run into in any business that saw things way before they were going to happen. He always took complex issues and reduced them to the simplest form, and here was his easiest way in persuading the owners to do it. He said, what happens when a championship game ends up and a tie. It's our second biggest game of the year outside of the championship game that ends up in a tie. What are we going to do? Look like a bunch of idiots and flip a coin on who's going? He said, what a joke the league would look like. So he said, I'm going to propose an extra period. We'll call it sudden death. And it'll be a 15-minute period with the first team that scores. Uh, Now they've really complicated it, by the way. I understand why they did it. Here's my answer to that. Life doesn't always give you second chances. This is what kept the fan on the edge of his or her seat. Can you survive if you lose the coin flip? That simple rule provided the backdrop for a drama played out between the New York Giants and Baltimore Colts. The 1958 NFL Championship game grabbed breathtaking attention from millions of television viewers throughout the country. The game established the legend of Johnny Unitas featured Frank Gifford as a star of the New York Giants. 
The sudden death overtime finale gripped the nation and announced to everyone that the National Football League could provide an unrivaled theater of emotion, grit, and resolve. From that day forward, pro football was on its way to overtaking Major League Baseball as the country's most beloved sport. After the game, Raymond Berry said he saw Burt Bell with tears in his eyes. Raymond said, I think he realized that day that pro football had made it. John Stedman, the famous uh, sports editor of the News American, and says it somewhere on tape that uh, he ran into Burt Bell coming down from the press box. And it was with my sister and Art Rooney. And so he was walking down and Stedman said, well, uh, Burt, what do you think about today? And he said, John, old boy, he said, I never thought I'd live to see this day. And you know what? It was the last championship game he ever saw. The Baltimore Colts' thrilling overtime victory in the 1958 NFL Championship indeed brought the National Football League to a new level in the public's eye. An inspired young man in Texas named Lamar Hunt dreamed of owning his own NFL franchise. He hoped to gain favor with Burt Bell by sending a mutual friend to lobby on his behalf to either purchase the Chicago Cardinals or be awarded an expansion franchise. In the summer of 59, Lamar Hunt was 26 or 27 then, and uh, Hunt knew that Davey O'Brien played for my father. Hunt was a very shy person. So Davey O'Brien came to see my father in the summer in Margate, New Jersey, where we had a summer home. And they met two or three times and finally set up a meeting with Lamar Hunt. My father told him, wait another year or two. The Cardinals are not for sale right now. But when we're ready to take an expansion franchise, I would certainly consider you. Uh, so Hunt, disappointed with that, uh, finally uh, decided to put together a league of his own. Bell also explained that not all NFL teams were profitable. The NFL would likely consider expanding once all teams became profitable. To put things into context, people like Bell, Art Rooney, George Hallis, and other owners remembered the days when over two dozen franchises folded before the founding of the Eagles and the Steelers. Moreover, the 1952 Dallas Texans went bankrupt in the middle of the season. Burt Bell solved the problem by having the league take over the team. Though Lamar Hunt was disappointed with Bell's response to his request, Hunt demonstrated the ultimate statement of respect for Bell while forming the American Football League. He uh, asked O'Brien if he would approach my father and see if he'd be interested in running both leagues. So my father said to him, you know, it's a real privilege, but please tell Mr. Hunt I really couldn't do it. But he said, I'll tell you what, if he's going to form a new league, he said, with his permission, I'll announce it in Congress, which he did in the summer of 59, announced it to Congress because they were on him about antitrust. Hunt's new pro football league wasn't the only pro sports league that had approached Burt Bell. Burt Bell was so successful that either before or after Happy Chandler was commissioner of baseball, a group of uh, baseball owners approached my father and asked him if would he be interested in running the baseball league as well as the NFL. That's how prized he was by people who were in the business. As the 1950s came to a close, 
and the 1959 NFL season began. Professional football crossed the threshold into an era of prosperity that would rise above all other professional sports played in the United States. Burt Bell laid the groundwork for that prosperity. His innovations provided the backbone for the modern game and provided templates for other sports to follow. Although he caught a glimpse of the NFL's future in the 1958 NFL Championship game, he wouldn't live to see the full measure of what professional football would become. He suffered a heart attack during the 1959 season while attending a Pittsburgh Steelers-Philadelphia Eagles game. Upton Bell gives a first-hand account of the game and his father's passing in his book Present at the Creation. The league owners elected Pete Rozelle as commissioner of the National Football League after Burt Bell's death. Rozelle, however, never had the power that Burt Bell had. When Burt Bell died, it was quoted somewhere in the book, George Hallis, who was very close to my father, and Carol Rosenblum said, we think Burt is the greatest, but we don't want anybody to have that power again. And they didn't. Pro football kept climbing the ladder of popularity throughout the 1960s. The American Football League merged with the National Football League in 1970. The merger was agreed upon in 1966. They agreed to create a championship game between the leagues, which eventually became known as the Super Bowl. Most football fans are much quicker to recognize the name Pete Rozelle than they are Burt Bell. That fact is inconsequential when you consider how much Bell did to establish the league's popularity, cement its foundation, and implement ideas that are still used today. Perhaps former Philadelphia Eagles coach Dick Vermeil said it best on a quote from Steelers.com. Before Burt Bell, the NFL operated out of a closet almost. Most of what you associate with pro football today began with Burt Bell. So, on any given Sunday, you'll witness Burt Bell's influence on the game of professional football. And, by the way, Burt Bell coined the phrase. Uh, when Bob Lyons, his biographer, started to write the book, he read somewhere, Peter King had said, the, you know, one of the great things about Pete Rozelle was that he had said, on any given Sunday, any team, another. And, and Lyons called Peter and said, Peter, Pete Rozelle did not say that. And, and Peter said, uh, well, it was my understanding he did, so... He said, you research it, and Peter did, to his credit, and emailed him and said, you're right, it was Burt Bell. Maybe someone else could have guided the NFL through the late 1940s and 1950s, with the league still achieving the heights that it did. The number of people capable of doing that, however, would be quite small. As Upton pointed out, Burt Bell understood all sides of the game. He was a player, he was a fan, he was a coach, he was an owner, and he was commissioner. He didn't enter the commissioner's office and forget his days as quarterback of the Penn football team. He didn't forget the fans who would stand out in a snowstorm to get tickets to the NFL championship game. He didn't forget the owners who feared bankruptcy. As commissioner, he recognized player rights when it wasn't comfortable to do so. He testified before Congress on behalf of the league, and he quietly communicated with Lamar Hunt as Hunt founded a rival league that would eventually merge with the NFL, making pro football the most popular sport in America. A very special thanks to Upton 
for being so generous with his time and stories about his father. I strongly suggest that you get Upton's book, Present at the Creation. We'll also have Upton take part in future episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. Brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and visit our website, thegamebeforethemoney.com. Opinions expressed on this program aren't necessarily shared by anyone else, including our sponsors.